media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You may be seated this morning as you open up your Bibles. We've made it to Mark chapter 4, kind of going verse by verse. And uh, Usually I leave my keys in the other room. I brought them this morning because... Uh, they serve as a little bit of an illustration uh, this morning to the opening of the sermon. If you've been with us as we've been traveling through Mark, you know that there is a poignant difference about to happen in the ministry of Christ. He goes from a come and see ministry where he has just been traveling about and people have been coming to see him by the thousands. And now it's a go and tell. He's kind of, he'll still do some of the come and see, but now he is sending out these disciples that he's called and other followers to go take the message. And this parable really kind of serves as a foundation for that. Now, what does it have to do with the key? Well, it has a lot to do with the key. Parables are stories that Christ told not just to make something interesting and not just so that we could have understanding. What he would do is always, with every parable, he had a kingdom truth. And it was hard things to understand, and so he'd break them down to everyday things, farming, money, relationships, things that people could understand. And yet, even with all of that breaking it down so that you could kind of almost like if you were going to explain something really difficult to a child or somebody who was younger, you would use illustrations that they could relate to. Jesus did that. But even with that, there were still some that their eyes were blinded and their ears were deaf to that message. This parable, one of the first that Jesus says uh, or, uh, shares in his ministry, he says really is a key parable. And he said, by this parable, you might understand a lot of the other ones. In other words, he said, this parable here is like a key. I don't know how many keys you have on your key ring. Uh, and these days, I, I have actually fewer than I've ever had. There was a time especially when we were in Gwinnett, I guess at Shadowbrook, um, this was quite heavy. And I was so glad when we redid the key system at Shadowbrook because there was well over 150 doors in all the campus with all the different things. And uh, th- there was about four sets of keys. One was a key that would, if you had that key, it would open just that door to that room. Then there was another set, uh, another key that would open like all the Sunday school classrooms or all these kind of doors. There was another one that was called, considered a master key that would open just about everything else. And then there was three keys that we called them the master master keys. And I had one, and Rick Patchen, the associate pastor had one, and our building superintendent had one. And those keys would open any door, any lock that we had in the whole place. So you have keys, and they all open doors, but some would open just a specific door. Another one, a group of doors. Another one, a wide range of doors. And these two master, master keys that would open up any door that was on campus. I share that with you because this morning, this parable that Christ gives is kind of like that master, master key. He says, if you understand this, you really have the foundation to begin to understand a lot of the other parables that I'll share with you. And uh, so this is really a key, no pun intended, a key parable. And it's also a very hard one. It's one of those things that when we read the Word of God, a lot of times we want to feel 
you know, walk away feeling all good and warm and cozy and, oh, God is so good. And a lot of scripture really does that to our hearts. It just ministers to us in our spirit and our soul and our mind. And then there's other scripture that are quite, quite confrontational. They're just, they're, they confront us with truth. And it divides kind of some of those feelings that we have because we feel kind of that they're coming directed toward us. And you might think, well, you know, that's not a good thing. You know, we really don't want to, you know, we don't like those scriptures that kind of confront us. You should love those scriptures. Because if they confront us, especially in our sinfulness, some of the men, uh, my discipleship men right now, we're going through Psalm 51. And uh, it is this repentant heart of David after he's been, you know, in sin with Bathsheba. And yet it comes months and months afterwards, and it only comes after God sends the prophet Nathan to David. Maybe perhaps even to this day, David would still be in his sin. And so one of our lessons a couple weeks ago is, are we as thankful that God makes us aware of our sin as much as he is the forgiveness of our sin? It's great to be forgiven of sin. But isn't it kind and merciful? Isn't it amazing that God through his spirit would even give us awareness of our sin so that we can have then repentance, that we can know truth and not be blind anymore? Well, all of that kind of has to do with what is typically called the parable of the sower. Uh, I think most people that uh, that have kind of uh, spoken to this call it the parable of the soils because really in this, there's a consistency of several elements, but there's one element that changes, and that's the soil. And so probably the best, you know, interpretation, like when you see in your Bible and it says the parable of the sower, realize if that's the title over that that's not that man wrote that okay that wasn't part god didn't mark didn't write down and said chapter 2 verse 3 and put titles there that's just what we've done to kind of make it easy and so i think this one's been misnamed a little bit and basically it is a parable that includes three main characters if you want to say the first is the sower Primarily, that's going to be Jesus. In modern days, it's everybody who is sharing the gospel, that we are to be sowers of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's more than just evangelism. That's sharing the, the good news of the word of God. So you have this, this character that's the sower. Jesus primarily would have been talking about himself and the disciples that he's about to, to set out. But it's really anybody who is sowing the word. Secondly, we have the seed. What is the seed? It's the word of God. We don't have to guess about these things because this is one of the few parables that Jesus actually tells the parable and then comes back and says, this is what the parable means. There's a lot of parables that Jesus tells the parable and it is left now for the last 2,000 years for people to come along, scratch their head and go, what does this mean? And that's why we get these wide variations and interpretations. That happens even with this. There's quite a bit of controversy about this parable as far as interpretation. Uh, We could probably preach four or five sermons just from this text because it has a lot of avenues that we could explore. But this morning, we want to get to the heart of the text. Well, what is it that Jesus is trying to tell us is a key to understanding his mission and his word? So we have the sower. That's consistent in all of these. We have the seed. That's consistent But then we add a variable, and that variable is the soils. And he gives four different types of soil. And basically, these four different types of soil, this variable, 
is people's response to the word of God, people's response to Christ in his ministry, people's response to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's enter into chapter 4. I'm going to do something that's... uh, I'm going to read through the first nine verses so that we get that in its entirety, and then we'll go back and break it up. Okay, but let's just start with uh, Mark 4, 1 through 9. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed and fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, and since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell upon good soil, and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. That verse 9 is not just a little add-on. It really is kind of a key to understanding this and other parables. Not everybody who heard something was going to have understanding. Have you ever experienced that in marriage? I mean, it's just a good example where words were said and the words were not difficult. It wasn't like you spoke in Russian and they don't understand Russian. They were in English and you understand English. And yet five minutes later, five hours later, maybe five days later, you're going, you did not hear me. And the confession is, you're right, I didn't. I heard words, but it was much more. Remember Charlie Brown's teacher? Womp, 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 womp. And it had, that's never happened in your marriage. It's never happened in our marriage. But perhaps there is one marriage out there that that happened in. No, of course that happens. But you have ears. You heard something. It's not that there wasn't a percussion upon the eardrum, but it never reached the mind and the heart. And that's a very important thing for us to understand. Because remember, by this time, how many people are starting to gather around Jesus? Thousands. So much so that they had to have the boat to kind of as a way of escape. Here they even have a boat for their platform to speak. Because there's so many people, so they gather on the seashore. Jesus is out on the boat, and it's kind of an acoustical kind of uh, great place because he can speak and they can hear him. And so he's teaching. But just because he's speaking does not mean that they are hearing. And that's what this parable is about. Two constants, the sower and all four of these, the sower is the same. The seed, the word of God, is the same. But the variables in this parable, where he's kind of testing, what he's making mention of, are the soils. It's kind of like if you did a science experiment and you took plastic, wood, metal, and you you had those three elements, and you took eight ounces of acid. And said, I want to do an experiment. And I'm going to pour this acid, which is the same. It's going to be the same acid. But I'm pouring it on three different things to see how the acid reacts. I'm the same scientist. The acid is exactly the same. It's the same amount. But I've got three variables in what I'm pouring it on. Wood, plastic, and this metal. 
And we're, what we're testing is how does this asset react to these different environments? This is the parable. He says there's four different ones. The sower's the same. But he gives us four different soils there. And that's what we want to kind of focus on this morning. So let's look at the first soil that he mentions in Mark 4.4. 4. It's what we call the hard path, or what Jesus called the hard path. It says, and as he sowed, some seed fell upon the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Now again, they would have been very familiar with this. If you've ever not had a spreader or something that's an automated kind of instrument, and you've ever put out seed, uh, there's a lot of times like with grass seed that you'll have kind of a bit, all the grass seed here, and you dip your hand in, and you just kind of throw it out, and you're broadcasting it so that it kind of goes out in that fashion. That's what they would have been familiar with, and that's the example that Jesus is using. A sower, a farmer, has his seed, he has it in this bag, he dips his hand in there, and he starts to throw it out and broadcast it, and it kind of goes out in a semicircle around him. So that's what they begin to picture in their mind, and that's exactly what Christ wanted them to see. Well, as this farmer is sowing the seed, some of it goes on all these different soils, but part of it went on to this hard path. And uh, and he says there in verse 4, And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Now, it went into the soil, but the soil was so hardened that, that it just sat on the top. I don't know if you've ever had to, uh, if you've ever tried to uh, uh, sow fescue grass seed. But uh, Tim, will, will birds try to come if it's sitting on the top? And so what do we do? We put sometimes straw and other things like that to keep moisture in, but also to try to keep it from being eaten by the birds. Everybody would have been familiar with this. So the story part, the understanding part, they're going, oh yeah, that happens all the time. You don't get it in good soil, you get it in this hard soil, it lays right there on top. The birds are going to come immediately and get that. Well, that part made sense. But remember I told you, this is one of the few parables that Jesus said, not only will I tell you the parable, but I'll actually tell you what it means. So go down to verse 15. He begins to tell us what this means and what he means by this hardened soil, this hardened path. Mark 4:15 And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them Jesus explains this first soil represents those that hear his teaching they hear something audible the eardrum is actually having a, a, a beat there so they hear it and yet there's no response there's no real understanding there there's actually a rejection of that and he talks about how this path, this soil is hardened, and oftentimes we can truly say that he's talking about a hardened heart. That actually is happening perhaps in this church this morning and perhaps churches across the entirety of this world where preachers are preaching the gospel, I would pray. They're preaching truth, biblical truth, and yet there will be some people that are in attendance and they hear the reverberations of a sound, it's not that they're illiterate and they can't, they don't understand. It's not like I'm speaking in Russian and you don't speak Russian. No. There's communication of words, but there's no understanding of what those words mean. And in one way, it seems like the blame is Satan here. No, Satan is just the opportunist. The hard heart is why it hasn't come in. It's our, we, we can't say, well, you know, Satan is all his fault. 
No, he simply is the opportunist that comes and takes that word and says, I'm just going to take it out of your life. Every word of God goes out has either a softening effect or hardening effect. I love what Danny Aiken, he's the, the president of Southeastern Seminary. He said, the same sun that melts the wax is the sun that hardens the clay. Now, what does he mean by that? That something is soft and that heat from the sun comes and melts that. But he said, you get hard clay and the sun hits it. What does it happen? It becomes even harder. Now, it's easy when we're talking about soil, but what is he really talking about? He's talking about people. One of the most dangerous places to be in this world today is in church this morning. I, 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 by God's word, not by, you know, by my interpretation, by God's word. Because one of two things will happen with the gospel. If we are faithful to preach the word of God, if we are faithful to preach the gospel, the good news of Christ, one of two things is going to happen in our lives. There will be either a part of us that is hardened by that or part of us that is going to be softened by that. Praise God that, uh, I got to hear the gospel many, many times. But what about those people that have sat in church all their life? They've heard the gospel, hopefully, week after week after week, and, and yet they've never responded to that. In fact, they, they've begun to reject that in their, their minds. So they're just out of maybe, hey, this is what you're supposed to do, go to church, or this is a good thing to do, or my wife wants me to come, or my husband wants me to come, or my mom wants me to come. You know, there's all kinds of motivations why people will fill a church this day. But it's a dangerous place to be, according to this parable. Because there will be some that hear the gospel, and rather than convicting of them of of their sins, they will just, their hardness of heart, their rejection of Christ, will be affirmed even that much more. Every time we deny the gospel, refuse God's word as truth, our heart will become harder and harder. That's not the pastor saying that. That's Jesus saying that. That's the word of God saying that. It's his truth. It's not just something that I believe happens, but I've seen that happen. That's what Jesus meant in verse 12. Look what he says. Probably one of the most difficult verses in all of the gospel of Mark. It's one of those, if you were writing a book, there's some books, Difficult Scenes of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever seen that. This would be one of the main chapters in that book because it's a really difficult thing when you just read it out uh, kind of away from context. Look what it says, Mark 4.12. So that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Wow, I, I thought the whole purpose of the ministry of Christ was so that they could turn, repent, and be forgiven. Well, why would there be any reference whatsoever of somehow them being prevented from hearing so that they could not turn and repent? Well, Jesus is actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. It was a prophetic word spoken at that time, but it also was a word that was very much the condition of Israel. The nation of Israel, God's people, had hardened their hearts, and they had rejected their hearts against the word of God. And so they rejected and rejected and rejected, and the Bible says that their hearts had become hardened. 
And, and instead of bringing uh, kind of, uh, you know, comfort and, and grace to their lives, the word became a, a voice of judgment on their lives. Here's what the word of God will do in their lives and in our lives today. Folks, it's either going to bring comfort or it's going to bring judgment. Now, that's a hard word. Well, we love to preach about grace. The focus of my life is to be, be able to go and share God's grace, you know, this, this message of grace. But the same word that brings grace and tells of this grace also brings judgment. I mean, that's why Jesus, you know, he suddenly the illustration. He said, okay, this path right here, you know, is very narrow. The, the, I'm the gate, but only a few are going to pick this one. This road over here to destruction is very, very wide, and most are going to go that way. Grace and judgment in the same illustration. And Jesus never backs away from that. And yet what we have here, by this first uh, pronouncement of this hard soil is that even though God was faithful to send out from Isaiah this word to Israel, the people refused to hear God, and they refused to hear his message, and their hearts were hardened, and that's an example of God's judgment. Well, Bobby, that's Old Testament. That was Old Testament prophecy that had a direct meaning to the nation of Israel. Why does Jesus quote it? He says, look, today, today, you're seeing that prophecy fulfilled in a modern time. Does that make sense? I know this, I mean, a whole sermon could be just on this one verse because it's, it's not complicated, but it's multi-level. But here's the bottom line, guys. We could go to verse after verse. We see this in Jeremiah 5.21, Matthew 13, Luke 8.10, John 12.37-41, Acts 28.25-27, Romans 11.8-10. Just a few where we see these references to the grace of God, but also the judgment of God. And it's revealed by his word. And when you think about what's happening in the crowds that are following Christ, there are some that are acknowledging their sin and they're trusting Christ as the Savior. Have we seen that so far in the first three chapters? That some people are coming, they're hearing the message of the Messiah, and they're turning from their sin and they're turning to a Savior. Have we also seen the opposite? Have we seen some people in that same crowd listening to that same teaching and responding entirely different? That instead of admitting their sinfulness, they deny their sinfulness and they're denying Christ and that he's the Messiah. Same thing is going to happen today with preaching the gospel here, preaching the gospel down the street, preaching the gospel around the world. It's all a condition of your heart. The constant is the word of God. Now, if we preach it correctly, and we preach it, you know, as it is meant to be preached, I assume that there are going to be some people that are going to be preaching some kind of version of what they say is the Bible today, and it's not really biblical truth. But anybody who's preaching the Word of God as truth today, that's the same. The sower may have different, you know, here's one preacher, there's another preacher in this church, and another preacher in that church, and yet it's the sower is the consistent one. The Word is consistent. It's actually your hearts and my heart. How do we receive this word of God? It kind of goes back to what we read earlier in Mark. Remember in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, when Jesus talked about who really needed him? 
And when Jesus heard it, remember he was there with the Pharisees and the religious leaders and they had these hard hearts. And it says, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He's pointing out this parable. He said, you don't even, you have such hard hearts. You've rejected my word and you've rejected me as the Messiah. Hebrews 3.15 says it this way. And it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Making a reference back to the Old Testament and the nation of Israel. I'll just say this. Let's sum up this first one. Church is a great place to be. Church is a dangerous place to be. Because the word of God brings comfort and grace and acknowledgement of this finished work of Christ. But it also brings judgment if there's rejection in our hearts. Second soil, rocky soil. The next example that Jesus gives is the same sower, the same seed. But this time it falls, as he's broadcasting the seed out, it falls on rocky soil. This is not just soil with rocks in it, but it's soil that may have some rocks, but it's just a little bit of soil. It's only like this. And underneath that is pretty hard rock. What happens to a seed when it falls in about this much soil and then there's hard rock underneath? It actually, the germination process actually is amplified because there's heat from the sun coming, hitting that rock. And so it's almost like an incubator. It's like a perfect thing to get the seed to germinate. And yet there's no room for roots. Look what he says, verse 5 and 6. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, this quick germination, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. This soil responds to people immediately, In that ministry, the context would have been that responded to Jesus, even responding in a really big way, only to be gone days, weeks, months later. In 37 years of ministry, I've seen this happen, where people were so excited. I mean, they could, if the church was open six days a week, they were there all six days and wondering why we closed down on that seventh day. And they just were there. But a month later, Nowhere to be found. Now please hear that not as a harsh judgment, but just what I've observed. The judgment actually comes from Jesus here. He says, look, there's some people, they respond to the gospel really quick with joy. They go out. But then when they start hearing this part about dying to self and carrying the cross every day, you know, they're not so much a fan. They want the heaven part. They want the forgiven part. They want grace, as you can preach that all day long. But this suffering for Jesus? And so that's what he says, that that all of a sudden, this rocky soil, look at what he says in his interpretation of verse 16 and 17. He tells us what this means. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. There's a positive response. And best things than sliced bread. Come to church with me. I mean, there's an excitement there. But look at the next verse. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. 
Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now what kind of persecution? What kind of tribulation? It arises on the account of the word. Not just trouble. Everybody's going to have trouble in life. Rains on the just and the unjust. Everybody has trouble. And so some of this may be, you know, just that we think that we come to Christ and that all of our afflictions are going away. Have you ever met somebody who kind of thought that early in their, you know, they thought, man, if you get Christ, just everything goes away. I will never have another difficulty in my life. Well, that's just not true. But here he even takes it and says, look, you know, part of this persecution, part of this affliction that comes to our lives, it's actually because we are following Christ. It's not just the natural things that happen. This person gets cancer, this person does not. It rains on the just and the unjust. Now what he's talking about here, as, as we go through life, and as we're living this life for Christ, all of a sudden we find out that, man, I, I just don't want this. I wanted the good. I just don't know that I want this. My favorite story is the old Marine recruiter. Come join us. Be part of the Marines. You'll get stationed in Hawaii. All of a sudden, he doesn't get a station in Hawaii. Like I said last week or the week before, you get, you know, Slidell, Louisiana or something like that where it's a hundred degrees in the winter with, you know, it just is hot and and there is no glory there. And all of a sudden, they expect you to get up at 3 a.m. to run five miles. Where was this? Where was the fine print of this when I signed up to be a part of the Marines? And that's what people were doing with the ministry of Christ. They were hearing Christ, and they would hear these sermons, and maybe they would even see the miracles. Hey, old Joe there, he couldn't walk, but now, look, he's dancing. Oh, Linda over there, she was blind, but now she can see, and she's got her entire life back. And they saw the miracles, they were attracted to that, because all of a sudden Jesus was this one that changed lives, but they weren't focusing on the changed hearts, they were looking at the changed physical things. And the minute they began to discern that what we really need is a change of heart, they said, we really don't want this. To me, this is a difference. Please listen closely to the words. Of decisions for Christ and conversions to Christ. Now, I'm not the judge, jury, and trial. Okay, I praise God. Uh, we just, Thursday night at Life Group, we were talking about nobody ever unjustly will be in heaven or unjustly be in hell. God is just. He is the perfect judge. Everything will work to God's perfection. So I'm not one that says, okay, this person can go to hell. This person's not going to, uh, this person's going to heaven. I'm so glad that that's not my job. But here's what the Word of God does say. That it wasn't just a decision. There needs to be transformation. But we're going to see that a little bit later on. And I think there's a lot of people that maybe raised their hand and said a prayer and made a decision. And as we examine their lives, we just don't see that there was a conversion. We don't see that there's a transformation. Oh, pastor, you don't know what happened in that heart. I I don't know what happened in that heart. Please hear my admitting, I'm not in charge of who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. But I'm, I'm trying to say what Jesus said. That when we are impacted, think about it, guys. When you're impacted with holy God, how can your life not change? 
How can you go on living the same if you truly have had relationship with holy God? There's a difference between just making decisions. And again, please, if you're one of those that raised your hand and you said a short prayer, and here you're living for Jesus years after, thank God for his grace and mercy. Thank God that you are a part of that. Please don't hear me minimizing that. I'm just going, some people have actually raised their hand, said a quick prayer, and their life never changed. And, and I wonder, I'm concerned for them. Because the word of God says that there should be transformation, that there should truly be a conversion, not just a decision. This probably describes a large number of people that we know. And it actually may describe... Many of us. I don't believe this is talking about the occasional ups and downs in our spiritual wealth. How many of you, your spiritual life could be described as a roller coaster? Times of great highs and times of great lows. Times when you cannot get enough of the word, enough of worship. And other times, ah, ESPN sounds much more appetizing this morning. That's, that's our human life. Okay, that's, We can still have Christ and still have those ups and downs. That's all of us. What we see here in this is a consistency. They leave the ministry of Christ. They don't follow the ministry of Christ. Why? Because the things of the world have just kind of overwhelmed them. Third soil, thorny soil. Mark 4, 7. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Again, notice that the seed doesn't change and the sower doesn't change. What changes is the soil. And the soil goes down and it begins to grow, but then it's choked out. Why? Because there was competition. Look at how Jesus explained this soil, verse 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns, and those are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. In other words, hey, I like this Jesus. This Jesus is good. But all of their life, all their mind, all their attention is to the things of the world, to the temporary instead of the eternal, the things that are kind of more based here than, than based in the spiritual realm. Now, again, I'm so glad that I don't have to be the one that is sitting there as judge over this and that you don't stand before me one day and go, you know, Taylor, what I saw in your life, brother, was a lot of these concerns, but not very much concern. I'm so glad I don't have to do that. But the one who knows everything, the one that knows our minds and our hearts and all, he's the one that judges. Have you found in your life that it's easy to be attracted to Jesus but that even though you're attracted to Jesus doesn't mean that automatically all your other concerns just go away, like paying in the mortgage, providing for your family. Have you noticed that they don't say that, you know, when, when you've gotten saved, the Jackson EMC doesn't say, we heard you became a Christian. All your electric is free from this moment on. We just want to do our part. No, we still have to deal with that. So he's not talking about that we are still concerned about those things. No, what he's talking about is that, look look back at verse 19, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. The word is not changing your lives. 
one of the sins that we allow probably the most in our lives. And it is a sin. Jesus called it sin, so I feel very comfortable calling it sin. Worry. Worry is a sin. It's not a discretion. It's a sin. And he said, when you worry, you're acting like an unbeliever. See, he makes this distinction. When you become a believer, are all your worries going to go away? No. Concerns are still there. But when you focus on that, when you don't feel this peace that, hey, I take care of the birds, I'm going to take care of you. When the confidence is shifted from, hey, Jesus has this under control to this point where it really brings worry and sleepless nights and all these things. then he said, man, you're acting like an unbeliever. Part of what Jesus is saying here. He, he says two things that he describes as thorns. Cares of the world, the deceitful of riches. I believe that, again, there's going to be a lot of people here in the gospel today that are kind of here. We have to guard that we're not here. I mean, I'm fooling myself when I'm thinking that when you come in here and I begin to preach, everybody's going, oh, man, there's only two, page, two pages that I can write down notes. I wish I had a journal. No, you've already thought about what you're having for lunch. You've already thought about what's going to happen at work tomorrow. There's all kinds of the loss of your football team last night. There are so many things that can cloud in these moments. That's enough, Sherry. Uh, that, (laughs) That, you know, that clouding these moments. Guys, that's human. It's when all of a sudden that just becomes our persuasion. Oh, Bobby, where's that line? Again, remember what we said. We love to know where the line is so that we don't go along. He's talking about a matter of heart. He's not talking about 51% to 49%. He's talking about do you have a heart? See, there's a big difference between, in, in these last two soils, there was germination. There was joy. There was acceptance. Here we see that something begins to, to grow. But there's no fruitfulness. If you go back and read all this, there's only one that actually produces wheat that actually produces fruit. And that's going to be this last one. So it's not that, you know, we've seen people that are excited, boom, they're just in church all the time. And then all of a sudden, difficulty, challenge, other things in the world get their attraction and attention, and, and they kind of go off. So it wasn't that there wasn't some germination maybe, but there was never fruit. One thing I, I need to make sure that I say, we are saved by grace, not of our works. Okay, so we're not talking about works here. That, okay, you are, but, but here's, we are saved unto works. And the Bible repeats that time and time again. John explains that in John 15. Peter explains that in 2 Peter 1. Paul explains that in Romans 7, 4, Philippians 1, 11, Colossians 1, 10. Over and over and over, we see that when they talk about the transformed life, the Christian life. It is a life that begins to produce fruit. And that's what he said here. Look at verse 20. But those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Have you ever kind of based your Christianity somewhat on how much you've done, and how much you see other people do. That's kind of a trap. It really is. Because you may live right beside, you may be married to a hundredfold person, and you're a tenfold person. And you go, man, I just, I must just not love Jesus. No, if you are a tenfold person, if there's fruit in your life, you, you must love Jesus. 
But there, every once in a while, some of my discipleship guys, we've talked about this before. Have you ever met that person and they make you even doubt that you love Christ? <laughs> because they just, I mean, they love Christ so well. They're just filled with God's spirit and it oozes out of their pores. And so you're just going, man, I, I just want to be like that. Now, notice what he says. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. We're going to all have different amounts of fruit in our lives. Some because of just God's giftedness. He's given some just incredible talents. And others of you may feel like you're kind of untalented. But what's important to focus on here is the fruit. Is that there's a a 30-fold, a 60-fold, a 100-fold. Now, the average back in those days, a seed, I'm told by commentators, was 5 to 7%. If you put out this much, it's kind of like mass mailing. You put out mass mailing. And you may hope for a 0.01% response. You know, 10,000. But if you get 10 people to respond, hey, that was good. In some industries, that would be good. Here, the typical fold back was 5 to 7%. So when Jesus said 30, 60, and 100, a lot of people go, wow, man, that's incredible. So what's the point of this parable? By this time, Jesus has no trouble whatsoever collecting a, uh, collecting a crowd and But crowds don't always equal success. Jesus was showing the disciples who were about to be sent out two by two that there's a great number that will reject them, that will just deny the gospel that they preach. In fact, if you look at it statistically, how many of these soils actually produced fruit? How many didn't? Three. Even if it germinated, it didn't produce fruit. So 75, you know, he's kind of preparing the hearts of the disciples. Man, 75% of the people are going to respond to the gospel out of pure rejection. Maybe they'll show a little bit of joy, but when persecution comes, they're going to leave you. Or they kind of show a response, but then they get right back in their mind and their heart. And their whole life has gravitated around this world and the things of the world. How does this text apply apply to us? Each one of us are one of the soils. In a way, I could say that each one of us have been all of these soils. Would you agree that in your life there's been a time that even the beauty of the gospel, there was a time that you just rejected it? Maybe you're really young and you just didn't understand that. But maybe a friend came up and said, man, let me tell you about Jesus. And you're like, I don't need him. Okay. So we've probably been that soil. What about that soil where we've seen joy and, and just being ecstatic over things in our life? that we see in Christ in the gospel, and yet when the concerns of the world, all of a sudden our focus is on the concerns of that persecution. And we're going, you know, if it if it means sacrifice, I don't know that I really want to follow. There's been times in our lives that, that we have had a, an unwillingness to follow because of the cost. There's been other times that we truly have been overwhelmed with the concerns of the world. My, my prayer this morning is that we would understand what Jesus is saying. That every time the word goes out, that we're going to respond in one of four ways. We're going to respond in rejection. We're going to respond with kind of an immediacy. I mean, just be honest. Don't, don't raise your hands or anything. But how many people, how many of you have ever on Sunday morning, you heard the word of God, and it truly did just energize your heart. But by Monday morning, that flame had dwindled, and at best, you saw a little ember there. But on Sunday, 
Was it because the preacher was so good? No. Because the word was so powerful. We've all been these sort of ones. What God is looking for, truly, what God is telling us here that was a key to all the other parables is that we respond at different times to, in different ways to the word of God. And so one of the best prayers that you could ever pray as you come each and every Sunday morning, as you would listen to to other sermons during the week, as you would listen to worship music and read the Word of God, have a devotion in the morning, one of the best prayers that you could have, God, give me ears to hear so that your Word will produce fruit, transformation in my life. Transform my heart and my mind. Help me to make every thought truly captive by Jesus Christ. What a great prayer. When we do that, don't be surprised that we would begin to see fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Not because of our goodness, but because of the truth and the power of the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Father, this is a difficult parable, Father. Anytime we see blessings and yet on the same page we see kind of judgment. Father, uh, we begin to think about ourselves and where do we stand in this? And Father, that's not a bad thought. That's not a bad thing to consider. Father, you said that before we take the Lord's Supper, we should examine our lives. And while we're not able to take the Lord's Supper this morning, Father, we are still to examine our lives. And how are we responding to your word? Father, I pray today that you would give us a heart that is good soil. And that your word takes plant and that seed goes in. And it changes the way that we actually think about things. That truly there is a transformation that begins to happen in our lives. Not just a decision that we made when we were 12 years old or 18 years old or 6 years old, but all of a sudden, Father, truly, as it says in Romans 8, 29, that more and more and more we look like the image of Christ. That is our prayer this morning, Father. And that's done through your spirit and through your word. So transform us, Father. Transform our thinking. Transform our actions. For the transformed life is the 30, 60, 100 fold. We love you and we thank you. As we pray all this in the hope of the truth of your word. The hope of the power of your spirit. And the hope of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.